welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Our next guest on the ABCA podcast is Driveline CEO Mike Rathwell. Driveline's been on the forefront of pushing data-driven training, and they're continuing to push the envelope of cost-effective player development. Mike has a lot of new things to discuss. In this episode, we cover Driveline's rebranding of the Modus Sleeve to Pulse, Track, their new facility opening up in Arizona, his three books that he's rereading right now, Driveline's hiring process, his views on leadership, their youth academy, and starting a new collegiate developmental league in summer 2022. Quick reminder on ABCA renewals, new membership, and convention registration. You can do all that on our website at www.abca.org or on the MyBCA app. We're anticipating our largest convention this year. Let's welcome Mike to the podcast. Here with Mike Rathwell, CEO of Driveline. Mike, thanks for jumping on with me. You're now my second. Uh, Jeff Willis has been a two-time guest, and now you're my second two-time guest. So thanks for coming oh, on well, with me. You bet. I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to, to be here and and honored to to get the designation. Do you consider Driveline a, a startup still? Uh, uh man, that's a great question. Uh, I, I guess I never really considered it a startup because I think that the word startup has a lot of connotations around like funding sources and whatnot. Um, but it's obviously a new business. Um, I, I, I think I just, I, I try not to like categorize it or whatever. I just want us to be good. Like, so we're, we're younger than, than a lot of other businesses, obviously. Um, I still feel like the team is generally in startup mode. And by that, I mean, like, the opportunity that I think that we're pursuing is is quite large, and uh, and we certainly don't feel like okay, hey, like we've reached the point where like this is good, and now we're just gonna you know uh, you know <laughs> put ourselves out to pasture or whatever. Like we're we're way more uh, like Uber or whatever than we are like Exxon Mobil. I mean, how do you stay after that? You guys have done a great job. Um, how do you kind of keep the fire lit? Well, you just got to light it every day, you know, and check on the pilot light. Uh, I, I guess like for, uh, it's not something that I think that 
we've ever actively sort of struggled with, um, you know, issues of like motivation or, or things like that, mostly because, um, well, one, um, I, I think our team is, is incredible and, you know, we're so much more now than just like myself or, or Kyle, like we have just, uh, an incredible depth of talent, uh, up and down the roster, which I think is really good. And part of that is, um, people are just motivated to, to come work with, with people every day that they really respect and admire. And so it's, it's easy to, to stay motivated when the person next to you is, is really talented. Um, so I think the, you know, the things that I, uh, am responsible for then are, are things like, you know, making sure that we're setting the right objectives, uh, making sure that, you know, the work stays compelling and that we're not like going off to, to solve problems that don't need solving. And, uh, when do you set those goals? I mean, when you're looking at goals for driveline, are you doing those quarterly? Are you doing those each 12 months? How are you kind of setting up your goals so, for driveline? That's a, that's a good question. Cause we actually, uh, we just changed everything. <laughs> so, uh, what, so what changed? I mean, what, what, what did you have and now what have you changed to? Uh, so we had a, I think, I think one of the things that, that COVID, uh, really exposed was like, uh, you just need like a really good operating rhythm. And, and I think the baseball season affords, uh, some seasonality there, especially if you're, if you're a coach, right. Cause it's just like, you've got the fall, you've got the spring, you've got like summer recruiting period. There's like very defined things that you need to do under the surface there. There's like just a ton of chaos and churn and, and activity and whatnot. Um, but, you know, we have sort of like the same seasonality. It's sort of spread over a few things because we have customers at different levels. But what we started sort of pushing towards is uh, is to do like several different launch dates that line up with sort of key parts of the baseball season. So that's new. Um, and it's mostly just like something that we felt we needed to do to sort of sustain uh, like a little bit better uh, cadence of like, pushing innovation right like if you don't if you don't have a deadline for like hey this has got to be ready to go by such and such a day then your decision making just gets sloppy and uh you know because you're just not making hard choices right it's like okay if we know we have to if we if we know we have to like you know get 80 innings from a guy come come january one uh you know we're we're making sloppier decisions in the fall just because you know, there's a lot going on and maybe we miss something. So, uh, for us, I think it was, it was, uh, it was the right move. Um, and, and yeah, so our, so our cadence, uh, basically just changed. And then we do, uh, employee reviews twice a year. And you've had great hires. I mean, what are some keys to hiring great people? Um, I, I think, well, <laughs> I think, I think one of the keys is to just not mess it up. And I think the key, I think the, the, the way that we've messed it up in the past is just by like not knowing exactly what it was that we were looking for or, uh, or being a little bit out of step. Like, I think that if you don't do the work up front to really figure out, okay, this is exactly the, the type of person that we think would be successful in the role or, or furthermore, just like, this is what doing a good job looks like. Like a lot of the questions that I end up asking our staff are, are something related to that flavor, right? It's just like, what does a good job look like here? Like, let, let's say we're three months down the road and we're talking about what a great job we've done. Like, what have we accomplished? And then, and then you can back into that by being like, well, can this person actually do that? Like, is that a reasonable expectation? 
because I think so many times, uh, you know, the, the mistakes you make in hiring are you just like ask fish to climb trees essentially. And, uh, and it's something you could have, if you, if you had been more diligent or whatever, you, you could have determined that that was like not the right thing. And I think at the end of the day, like it comes back down to, to leadership in terms of like, whether it's you explicitly hiring the person or you, you know, setting the targets for this other person to go, to go hire someone. Uh, I think that ends up being like the biggest mistakes at the, at the leadership level, usually at the entry level, uh, like when, when we're hiring people who are like coming on as interns or whatever, the successful ones just have like a bunch of creativity and, and drive. Side note, if you are listening to this and you have a bunch of creativity and drive and would like to be an intern at Driveline, uh, you know, hit us up. <laughs> Our careers page is, is you know, with, with the intern process. I mean, how long is that? And then how do you decide, hey, who who maybe is right for a full time position after an intern position? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think the ideal uh, candidate or whatever for, for an intern position is basically just oh, I'm going to be I'm biased here because I uh, caught in a former life, but like, you know, college catcher, uh, team captain, you know, has, has done a project, uh, that's like not baseball related and has excelled at, at that. At, and it doesn't even matter what it is, right? Like had a t-shirt company that sold more than $20 worth of t-shirts or like organized a bake sale or whatever, just like, you know, you don't have to be a road scholar. Um, and, and you're just creative and, uh, and like, you know, bring it every day. Like, and that's the thing, right? Is it like when we, when we hire for, for folks at a network or like in our coaching network, like the coaches and the team knows, right. It's, it's pretty rare that they're going to like elevate someone internally to a position of leadership, especially when you got, you know, 20 to 40 guys on the squad who, where everybody just is like, oh, this guy is like awful. Um, so some of our best hires have been referred by coaches and uh, you know, and they're just like, Hey, this person is, is really good and, and wants to work. And, uh, and that's, that's been a really successful avenue for us. And generally what they, what they end up demonstrating here is like all of those skills uh, apply, you know, you, you've got to adapt them a little bit to, uh, to the business world as opposed to, you know, uh, the baseball team world, but what uh, they generally tend to play. And, uh, and usually what, uh, well, this, it's no different, honestly, than than like uh, than recruiting. But like generally, the way that they get brought on full time is that they're at least as good or better than like the least good person on the squad, um, which is which is I think the mistake that everyone makes in recruiting, because they're just like, oh, well, I want to go play D one ball, and I would never go play like Division two or junior college or whatever. But then if they go to a junior college game, there's just no way they're seeing the, the field. Like there's 25 other people who are vastly superior to them, but they have it in their mind. You know, there's just no easy way to sort of reconcile. This is how talented I presently am against like, you know, what the talent level is on the field. And, and I think that's because some of the underlying tools are like so opaque, right? It's like, it makes sense why a scout would be able to understand like, okay, if this kid hit 560 in XYZ high school league, you know, that that's good or bad relative to their aspirations to play D1 or sign a professional contract or whatever. Whereas like that knowledge is just not common for the parents of a random 16 year old. You know what I mean? They're like, Hey, this kid hit like 280, you know, like, you know, 
you know, so like, you know, that's great, right? Like, there's a lot of Hall of Famers uh, who hit 280, and it's like, that's not actually very not good at, at that all. level. Yeah, that's that's not great. <laughs> not at that level. Do you consider yourself a great leader? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I can answer that question. I think uh, I think my like the team can answer that, and uh, and I think you can check back on what I've accomplished in 50 years, and then you can tell me. Um, I mean, when you're you're I looking at great leaders out there, I mean, who do you consider in any field? Who do you consider great leaders? I'm not sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to to that one. I, th- I think that there's, I think there's a handful of types, right? So there's, there's sort of like, there's this form of leadership, which is just like, it's the person you want in the foxhole, like there, and then there's a, a set of great leaders where it's more sort of like strategic and, and kind of vision oriented. Um, and you might not even want that person in the foxhole, but you certainly want them, you know, at the head of the army, uh, and uh, and that sort of thing and and i think that i think that there is an element sometimes of of needing to have a certain leadership style uh for a certain set of of outcomes uh and i think that's probably one of the hardest things uh it's the reason i like hedged on your last question about being a great leader or whatever because it's just like it's a thing that you just I, gotta it's, show it's up hard to answer like and i, I yeah. think if you're humble you know and that's a, i think great leaders are humble and I think anybody has a hard time answering that question. If you ask somebody if they're a great leader, I think anybody, right. it, it's, it's a tough, really tough question to answer because it's like, how do you define that? And, and it is more of, of looking back um, and kind of seeing where, where you've come from. I think that's where you start to maybe answer that question a little bit. And I mean, yeah, it, I mean, we're, I'm only seven years into, into this with, with Kyle and uh, you know, uh, we got a long ways to go. So I mean, is your definition of success for you individually the same as success at driveline? Um, not necessarily. Uh, m- mostly because, like, I feel like I want to be a good, a good father and a good husband and uh, and a good friend and and those things. You know, driveline is is sort of related to those things, uh, but it doesn't necessarily uh, define them or, or impact them in a in a significant way. Certainly, that like that's the that's I think the challenge that that uh, probably a lot of the listeners have to grapple with on a regular basis too. It's just like you have these sort of like four primary areas of responsibility, family, friends, you know, business, and, uh, and then, you know, your, your children, uh, if you have any, and, and uh, there's, there's a lot of conflict there and a lot of trade-offs. And I, I don't know that anybody ever is, uh, gets it a hundred percent right. You know, let's circle back a little bit here. You know, COVID hits, you're trying to open two facilities. Walk us through a little bit how that whole process was and how you guys worked through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so let's see, we, uh, we were slated to, to basically break ground on the, on the new facility March of, of 2020, which was uh, absolutely per- like perfectly timed by yours truly. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, at, at that point, it was a month before and, uh, and we got the notification from the, from the governor that, you know, everything was shutting down here. Um, and, and really, you know, it was, uh, it was a pretty stressful time. Um, there were, there were a lot of, uh, uncertainties, like not only staff related, but also like our athletes just like didn't have a place to go for a significant period of time. And then you had the additional, like the, it was right after that, that the NCAA canceled the season. And then right after that, that major league baseball pushed all their stuff back. And so there's just so much uncertainty at that particular moment in time. Uh, and then we just 
didn't have a, a place to train anybody. So, um, so for like three or four months, uh, we did a lot of stuff remote and we did, you know, a lot of stuff online. Uh, and then we opened up in, in July and sort of wrote out the, the rockiness of kind of being open and closed and having a bunch of changing mandates, but that's what everybody did. So it's not like, you know, unique to us or something special that, that we did. Um, I will say that like the, the things that sort of carried us through were, uh, just really good people, uh, trying to communicate as transparently as possible, uh, about like what, what we were facing and what the impact was and, uh, you know, where we were trying to go. And, uh, and and quite frankly like a lot of our a lot of our tools like you know having track and pulse and things like that um and having really strong partnerships with tech companies you know really really help sort of weather the storm in a lot of ways how are you going to organize the two facilities i mean you're going to have guys go back and forth between the two facilities are you going to keep it separate how are you going to organize the two facilities so uh so we opened uh, uh well right one of the responses to uh to COVID was to open up uh, a couple of pop-up shops. So we did like uh, one down in Arizona, one in Texas. Uh, and, and we've sort of traveled around the country uh, a bit in the past. So we've done a bunch of different sort of like different facility or like tour stops essentially. And, and a lot of that was basically just like a, a test, you know, like what happens when we show up in a different place, who shows up, wh- what does that look like uh, is, you know, can, can we be multi-site and still be effective? Uh, it was, it was kind of a long process to, to open up a, a more permanent location in, in Arizona. And, uh, and so that process started, it's starting right now. I think our guys are in the middle of building mounds right now, but we're, we're live in Arizona, uh, effective this month. And it's something we intend to, to commit to for the, for the long haul. Um, as far as how we're, how we're organized, uh, we've got a completely separate staff in, in Arizona. So, um, we got a bunch of guys who, who deserve a shot at basically kind of like running their own spot and, and, uh, and we've got enough, uh, tools to basically monitor how our athletes are doing and, and make sure that, you know, everything is kind of meeting the standard. And I'm, I'm like very, very optimistic about the results that those folks are going to get and, and how good the, the squad is down there. You talked about Pulse. Talk about Pulse. I mean, and obviously the Modus sleeve was there. Now it's Pulse. Is it rebranding? Is there some differences with it? What are some of the differences now with Pulse? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think the reason to, to rebrand it as uh, as Pulse, I mean, A, we acquired uh, the assets of, of Modus Global in uh, early January of 2020. The reason to rebrand it was basically, uh, in our, our estimation, one of the, one of the more challenging things, uh, about using modus was, uh, simply that there was, there was a lot of information. Like it, it, it does actually pack a lot into the sensor. Um, but the learning curve was like insanely high. And, and so the reason to basically rebrand it pulse, uh, was to tie in with a lot of the stuff that we're doing around, around software and, and tools, not only for ourselves, but, uh, for colleges and high schools, uh, across the country is, um, to just make it much easier to, to use. So the idea is, uh, that, you know, the sensor basically answers, uh, two questions. How much did I throw that go? And the bulk of, of daily errors related to pitching or like pitching workload management 
typically come in one of those two flavors. I mean, there's obviously more that goes into it, but generally speaking, you either have guys airing it out when they shouldn't be or guys taking it easy when they shouldn't be. And then they just like throw too much or too little. And, and like, if, if you just checked off, you know, the appropriate boxes, you would be the bulk of the way there uh, in terms of, you know, managing the staff correctly. Now, the nice thing about, about pulse is that the, the workload is sort of tailored to your biomechanics. Uh, so like it does a good job of basically understanding how much stress is on your arm during any throw. And you can tailor that to basically, uh, to understand how the workload is like for, you know, for me, Mike, or for you, Ryan is, it would, could potentially be different. And so like, if we both have assigned workloads of X, maybe it takes me 30 throws to get there and it takes you 50 throws to get there because you're more efficient. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's basically the, the heart of, you know, why, a, why we renamed it pulse. Cause it should just be like the heartbeat of everything you do related to throwing is like, just track your throws, but it should be seamless and basically like going on in the background. You can do some stuff uh, with live mode and, and there's some, there's some pretty cool uh, like adjacent tools, but we, we really wanted to like refocus the entire thing around just two central questions. Like how much am I throwing and how hard should I go every day? And, um, and so far it's been, it's been really good. We ran our entire so summer program on it this year. We ran the, the pro off season on it uh, last year. We've done a bunch of stuff uh, in game with, uh, with some players. So it, it's, it's becoming like a, a really, really solid tool. How's the in-game data been compared to the, the training data? Is there any, uh, in, in what way? As far as volume exertion, any of that stuff, are you seeing a, a huge difference or it's fairly similar for guys? You know, it, it really, it really depends because I think, I think that's the, I think, I think you really hit on like, you know, the reason to use technology in the first place is simply to just open the door to a conversation with the athlete. Right. So, so you can get scared or whatever about uh, what's coming down the pike, but, but the essence of coaching and improving baseball players is you have to guide them along this journey of self-improvement. Um, and, and the bulk of that is done via one-on-one -on -one personal relationships. And none of that is ever going to change. It's just that, you can have better, more effective conversations with technology than without. And, and so like, that's the point, right? Is like, if you do see something that shows up in the in-game data, whether someone's throwing too hard, like uh, whether there's like a large discrepancy in like their training preparation versus how hard they're going in the game or, or anything else, like it just becomes very obvious to, to the point where you can be like, okay, so then what should we change? And then you can go back and, and make an adjustment. I was just scrolling through your guys' Twitter feed because I wrote down track X. I mean, it seems like that's something maybe newish for me that I haven't seen as much. Um, can you talk about track X a little bit? Sure. Uh, so we actually we have three basic uh, software tools. There's there's Pulse, which is essentially like workload management. It's specifically around pitching, um, and and is basically designed to to be sort of like custom workload management for pitchers. There's track, uh, which has a, a few different layers to it, but it's essentially data warehousing and athlete management. The, the nice thing about it and sort of where we feel like we want to go in the future is um, 
doing more more integrations with software and also uh, providing more tooling for coaches to communicate and engage with their players. The biggest one of which is uh, is chat, like just being able to instead of having a separate group me thread that's like all the pictures or whatever, and then you're dumping in like you know, hey, here's this and here's this. Uh, the thing that we're trying to pilot is that we do internally first, and then we'll push to the public is you know the ability to basically communicate one-on-one -on -one with an athlete. So, you know, when it's not the dead period to be able to look at, uh, you know, the videos that someone's uploaded uh, or whatever and, and have a conversation. Um, and then also to just, you know, get feedback from, from players, right? Hey, I saw, uh, I saw you did walking windups today. How'd that go? You know, what were you feeling? We remember we were working on X, Y, Z thing. Can you upload some video to see how, see how that's going? Um, so that's, that's really that it's a set of tools around how to effectively manage, uh, your roster of folks and make sure that all their data is stored in a logical place and not like 800 different, uh, CSVs and whatnot. Uh, and then edge is basically like our reporting and, and analytics suite. So track X is simply the, the version of track that has all of the analytics baked into it. Um, some of the new stuff that we've, uh, built is like pretty slick. So it started with sort of uh, ball visualizations and, and has now really moved into, there, there's a new tool that we released called the blob, which like, <laughs> you know, you can say whatever you want about the, the naming uh, conventions, but I, you know, it was weird enough that, that it stuck. Um, but the blob is basically just like, a, it's a, it's a uh, sort of like an, an oval um, that's like a cloud. And then you can key in like, this is what my fastball profile looks like. And then visually you can see, is it close to what good fastballs look like, or is it close to what bad fastballs look like? And then you can change the parameters to be like, okay, if I, if I got this much more vertical break or on a slider, like there's sort of like this trade off between uh, sweep and velocity. So if I, if I just throw this pitch harder, but I trade off some, some sweep. Is that a better pitch than if I just like try to back off of it? And so right now, previously, you know, the way that like prior to TrackMan, Rapsodo, Yakertech, et cetera, um, the way that, the way that you did that was you just went down the line with your, you know, with another pitcher who was like, Oh yeah, like this, that's awesome. You know, or, or you throw it in a bullpen to the catcher. Who's like, Oh yeah, this is looking good. Um, now you still have that, but you've added in like Rapsodo, TrackMan, Yakutech, PitchLogic, DK, et cetera, et cetera, to give you some, some uh, objective data about what that is. Um, but even still, if you want to make a change, there's still this like tinkering element and there's less sort of like targeted, yes, I want to go specifically in this direction. There's still like fiddle with some grips and, and like throw it. And that's actually really good for sort of like, exploring the entire space of like what should a slider be or like trying to acquire a brand new pitch. But if it's just like, I have this cutter, I have, yeah, I'm pitching in a week, you know, like, is there an adjustment I can make like intra season or is there a, an adjustment that I can make because I feel like I lost my, you know, X, Y, Z pitch. Like I lost it. I need it back. Uh, you know, you can, 
you can try to dial in like what the targets are and, and then uh, and then train to that in in a bullpen. So and I think guys need reminders sometimes you're going to lose you're going to lose your swing sometimes you're going to lose your stuff sometimes on the mound. It's always good to have that library of data whether it's video library or also the metrics to, to have that to go back to, to be able to compare to where I'm at right now. And, and sometimes it's just guys need reminders of when things were going good. Absolutely. A- absolutely. I mean, uh, it's the argument that we, that we make when we're talking about biomechanical assessments or, but you can make it for any piece of, of data or information, which is just like, especially if you're a professional player, but certainly even if you are aspiring to be one or you simply want to have a good college or high school career, you should just be collecting data on yourself at regular intervals because at some point you potentially are going to get into this place where you're just in tinkering hell. Like that's like these slumps just get extended because you're off for a few days, which happens and is a part of the process. And then you get to tinkering and maybe that works for you, but it is actually like somewhat of a random process, you know, like maybe you get back to it, maybe you don't, but if you don't, then all of a sudden you're like off in this place where like, okay, I adjusted like my load and then I adjusted my hand position and da 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 And now like it's 15 games later, I've got four hits to show for it. And like, I'm extremely frustrated when if you had a set of data that you could go back to at sort of game four, game five, which was like, oh, uh, I mean, actually a good answer is just like, oh, you actually have been hitting the ball fine. Like, you know, or like as as expected, you just have gotten unlucky. You know, you don't need to tinker or like, hey, this is, you know, this is observably off. You should fix it. But a lot of times it's just the certainty of knowing that some of, of knowing that you don't need to work on something because when you're, when you're in that competitive mindset, especially when you're struggling, there's so many potential things to work on. Right. It's like, and then especially if you're, you know, just scrolling through Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you can find a lot of other reasons why, you know, you should be working on mechanics or you should be working on your recovery or you should be working on your pregame or you should be working on mental game or you should be working on, you know, parasympathetic breathing or whatever. Like it's just any, anything could potentially be the reason. Right. And so it's nice to just eliminate some of this stuff to be like, no, it's bat speed dummy. You just need bats. Like you don't swing hard enough to like hit the ball hard, you know, or, or like, look, you're just making not as much contact as you used to. Right. So like, let's figure out a plan to fix that. And then look, we can, we can argue like Catholics and Baptists all we want about what the drills are like what the best drills are to, to train bat to ball skills or, or train contact or whatever. Uh, but like, that's not, I, I find those arguments increasingly less interesting over time than just like trying to make sure that we all understand that like the data and these tools like really do help have very productive conversations. And then it's just up to, up to us as, as coaching professionals, whether or not we choose to have those conversations uh, or to like, to what level or to what degree. Any data in the beginning you guys felt like was important that maybe you shelved or the opposite, like you didn't think this was that important and you look at it now and you're like, okay, that actually was pretty important. Um, yeah, we actually just, uh, we just released a blog post on sort of qualitative versus quantitative, uh, pitching biomechanics analysis. And I read it. It was really good. 
Yeah, well, great. Uh, thank you. Um, I think I think the reason the reason that that was so interesting and exciting to me to have like uh, and again this is just like it wasn't even my idea. I literally had never thought about it. It wasn't Kyle's idea. You know, it was just something that uh, one of our trainers uh, you know had basically picked up on and wanted to test out and then the tools were around and we were able to, to go knock it out. Um, I think, I think the thing that is, I, I can say that like the thing that, the thing that I find getting a lot of emphasis inside of the baseball community, which is just almost certainly not, uh, important is, um, is sort of like dogmatic approaches to mechanics on either side of the ball. There just isn't a right way to solve the movement and it is very, very individual. And so it just makes sense to try, like you need to tinker in order to get folks towards the right solution. There are absolutely some basic building blocks, especially for younger athletes that should check the box. Um, but it's just, too complex of, uh, of a movement, whether it's hitting or pitching to say definitively, you know, you have to, you have to hinge your pelvis or you have to do like, I can find an example of someone who gets paid a lot more than you and me to play a game who's doing it not that way. Right. And then you can have the argument of whether or not they should fix it or whatever, but that's the absolute top end of the sport. And so I'm just, I'm increasingly less interested in engaging in those sorts of types of arguments because they're, they're just not productive. Like you need to just use inf the best available information to make the largest impact you can on any single given player. Um, and uh, it does turn out that like, there's, there's probably, you know, there's like a base set of things that you should be really good at. And there's probably 20 to 25 drills that are like more effective than not in terms of training that stuff. But, it, but you, I, I find I really struggle at like getting significantly more granular than, uh, than that. Jamie Carroll who's my college roommate. He works for the pirates now, but played forever. We had uh, lunch yesterday. He's in town watching the Greensboro mm. team. And we talked about the exact same thing. And, you know, you guys have done a good job with the video, Edgar Tronic, all of that, because it is such an individualized thing. A person needs to see themselves when they're doing it right. If somebody stripes a ball at the plate, you need to watch yourself do that. It's fine to look at other guys, but you need to watch how you're moving and, and when you're doing it right. Same thing on the mound. Good pitch, strike, whatever, however you want to define what a good pitch is but you need to watch yourself do it when it's right and put all those good movements in your memory bank of you individually rather than worrying about what anybody else is doing. We had that exact same conversation yesterday, and he's saying the same thing. It's just it's too hard because it is so individualized. It's too hard to just make those blanket statements like everybody can do it that way. Well, they can't like because it's such an individualized thing. It's just, and that's the fascinating thing with, with player development is because it is so individualized that – you have to find ways to help them individually. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that's, I think that's right. I, I think, I think that, I think that the conversation sometimes then skews to like, 
okay, well, everyone is an individual, therefore we need completely custom individualized solutions as well to all this stuff. And I think that that is fine at the very highest levels of the sport, but is almost certainly not true at like the high school and college level. Like I would just bet uh, it's like every high schooler in the country should squat and deadlift. Like just, they just should. Uh, And like, you know, so it doesn't matter. You can talk about individualizing that or, or whatever, but they just, they just, if they want to play beyond high school uh, and they're not, you know, insanely talented, they should probably pick up a weight. Yeah. Those are foundational Uh, exercises. Like everybody should do those. They're foundational. Right. And so it it gets beyond the weight room too. It's like, you know, there's, there's some, there's some absolute basics that just uh, of like meat and potatoes that absolutely work. But there's also an element of sort of like skill acquisition inside of drills. So you can absolutely get to a point where, you know, you're sort of plateauing on those things. And, and that starts to, to get into, I think, uh, a lot more interesting territory for, for me. And, and also like is a challenge, I think, uh, because it's the difference between a high school team where you have a really tight-knit uh, set of relationships with like a very small group of folks to a college team where that's still tight-knit but a larger group versus a professional team where, you know, you've got 180 players uh, plus the big leagues and, you know, whatever is going on and extended in the DR. So it's a, it's a you know, 200-plus folks that you're trying to trying to scale things to. And, uh, and you just – figuring out ways to get – individualization baked into it while also being able to, to track what's going on and ensure that sort of like that individualization is, is appropriate uh, is, is I think a, a problem for technology. Like at some point uh, you can't simultaneously make the argument, like we need individual X, Y, Z programs. However, we're also just gonna like run the entire system on pen and paper. It's just like, it's just not feasible. Um, you don't have enough man hours for that. Yeah, well you could, but then you would also like, you'd have to spend so much time training your, your players to, to understand what individualization is and to ensure that they like know how to make those choices for themselves that like you probably aren't gonna play any games, you know? And it's just, I think like um, there, there's certainly a, like a, a time trade-off to all these choices. Right. So it's like, is it theoretically possible? Like, is it theoretical that or like theoretically possible that sort of everyone needs this like highly individualized uh, training program? Potentially. I mean, you're talking about at the true ends of individualization, you're talking about dealing with, nutrition and sleep and all these things, which could be optimized, you know, everything possibly could be, but then what is the trade-off in terms of cost and, and time relative to the gain uh, in terms of on-field performance? Um, and that curve is different for, for every person. Um, but I think the, the suite of right answers that is closest to the mark is that some individualization but not a ton is like probably the right answer um 
given all the various other constraints that are going on uh, in any given program, whether it's, you know, high school, college, professional, et cetera. I think timing is foundational for me. I mean, I, for me, handbrake timing on the mound and then timing at the plate when a guy moves, if he moves on time. I, for me, those are foundational. I mean, you can talk mechanics and all the other things, but I, for me, those are two things that I think elite throwers that throw strikes, handbrake, their handbrake timing is good, and then hitters that are elite hitters, they, they move when they're supposed to. They move early enough. I mean, it's just, those are foundational things. The other stuff you can split hairs with because – like you said, you can see somebody that does it completely opposite. But for me, those were foundational things was the timing piece. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think, um, they're, they're like important for, for two different reasons. Right. So like on the, on the hitting side of things, like, because you're reacting to the ball coming in, uh, like that actually really speaks, I think, to like needing to get a lot of reps against live pitching or, or simulated live pitching, um, but like that, that's really a person who's like extremely hitterish, right? Like where they can just like routinely put, get off a good swing. Um, whereas on the pitching side of things, like timing really speaks to just like biomechanical efficiency, which is not necessarily what you absolutely need from a hitting standpoint, because you need way more like adjustability and adaptability. Whereas, you know, throwing a perfect game is really about just flawless execution and, and luck. <laughs> so. So like it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, I think it does really speak to the essence of like why those, why those things are, are different. Um, but also is, is sort of like one thing that we've learned uh, rolling out uh, our academy and also like playing more games is just uh, is again, trying to, to get more deeply involved in transitioning players to getting ready for games and sort of like preparing them to, to play. I, I would say that like, I think what most baseball facilities in the country are good at is sort of like outsourced player physical development, which is certainly what we've been doing for, for a while. Um, and we have spent and baseball facilities comparatively spend less time on sort of like gameplay elements and teaching baseball IQ and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, the, the inverse is true that like most of the most college and high school teams and, and pro teams spend time on making sure that you're good at the game, uh, and sort of comparatively less time on making sure that you're physically prepared for it and, and all those sort of things. And also when they, when those two camps get mad at each other, they usually argue that their perspective is, is the right one. Right. You know, it's like, um, when, when I think that the answer is really just like, uh, you know, you, you need both. Um, and, and you do you need probably, both. You, I mean, you do. You have to yeah. have both. If, if you want to create elite baseball players, you have to have both. Absolutely. And and so then if if you accept that as like the correct premise and you want to try to do it, uh, then you just need systems to try and figure out how to how to make that uh, really sustainable. What are some of the things that you guys have added in with, with the academy of trying to help players get ready to acclimate to be on the field? Oh, I mean, the, I mean, literally, honestly, the biggest one is like uh, driveline had never like thought about defense in any sort of, because like that wasn't, it wasn't really a thing that anyone was like, we were training pitchers and we were having guys hit and we would occasionally go hit ground balls or whatever, but there was no systemic effort to try and teach defense. And then when you go to a nine, U game and watch kids kick the ball all over the place, you're like, all right, 
like we gotta we gotta have a plan for that now like covid threw a, uh, a wrinkle into that and it was certainly something that that we were like prepared for uh you know knowing that we had to have a plan around teaching all the different elements of the game or whatnot uh when you're when you're starting to tackle youth baseball um but uh but yeah i mean it's just it's just something that we've we've added to to kind of prepare ourselves for going out and and trying to compete and and you talked you and i talked about that off air about the the collegiate uh summer league the developmental league can you dive into that a little bit yeah so so this summer uh not not this last summer, but summer of of twenty two. We're uh, we're going to be having a uh, like what I would call a hybrid uh, program. So previously, if you come out for the summer, uh, you know you train here. Uh, we try to get you as prepared as we possibly can for the fall. Uh, but usually that ends at basically live at bats. Um, you know, so uh, whether you're hitting or pitching, like you know you're seeing guys live or, or you're facing guys live, and then you go back to campus and and that's it, right? Um, what, what we want to do is offer a, a hybrid program, which is you come out here, you train for a month or two months, then for a month, we just play games. So there's, there's a handful of summer leagues around here. So we'll be playing games against WCL teams, PIL teams. Um, but we just play games and focus on that. Um, which I think I think that there is a class of player who is currently underserved by what's available out there where there's a very hard line choice between like you either, you know, stay on campus and do stuff that's on campus or you go to a facility and do what's available at the facility, or you go to a league and you play games in the league. And and maybe, maybe you create your own path where like, you go to a facility for a month and then you catch the back end of a, of leagues or whatever. But to, but to me, this is like a, a formal all the way through development program where it's like, okay, we've identified, you come in, you get assessed and we identify that you need lower body strength and bat speed. Okay. Your first two months are going to be focused on exactly that. And your final month of playing in games is going to be focused on you executing in the games but then also making sure that those skills either translate into games or that you're like continuing to progress them inside of the games as well. Because I, I, I do think that, you know, they aren't the spring games. So you can use the games as a development opportunity. You don't have to go try and, you know, win, win these games necessarily. Um, But, you know, winning is a learned skill too. So like if you're not figuring out, how to get your a swing off uh, in certain counts and still barrel balls uh, against a, a pitcher who's more competitive than you were expecting. Like that's just an element of winning that you might not learn as much in a cage, but you might win if there's a real score and a real person standing on third base, you know, like, and, and yeah, there's real consequences. So, man, I was so lucky as a player because the leagues I played in were good leagues. You played about 40 games, but no overnight trips. So I was able to lift after home games like Cape league slept in my yep. bed every night. See old CIL, the central Illinois collegiate league. We didn't have any overnight trips. So literally was able to train and play the entire summer, play 40, 44 games and also train at the same time. And I always showed up back on campus, like ready. I was ready just because yeah. I'd had an unbelievable summer and was working also. I mean, I don't know how I did it back then with the, you know, you're sleeping a little bit. 
we didn't know as That's much right. about sleep back then, but which was probably good if 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 we knew back then what we know now, I don't know if I would have ended up being as good because I probably would have slept a little bit more. But there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, right? Like uh, just competitiveness and, and toughness is, is also just like a learned skill or a behavior. You know, like you you pick it up somewhere. Like it's not like it's not like there's a bunch of hardo babies running around. You know, like you got you got to learn it somewhere. Uh, and and there's a lot of different ways to to be able to teach it. Anything new with the mocap? Arena, I mean, is there anything new with mocap? I know we've got markerless stuff going on. What's new in that arena? Uh, you just mean like in the in the like landscape generally? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, cameras are getting cheaper, so uh, people are just sticking cameras everywhere that they possibly can. Sensors are getting cheaper. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of this. The nice thing for for baseball is that uh, I always get pretty suspicious when people say that they're like developing top end technology, like specifically for baseball, because many of the components that are in these technologies are, are coming from, from other places. Right. So uh, like the, the great, like it's advances in self-driving cars and computer vision that are going to really drive like the next tier of, uh, you know, innovations inside of baseball. Right. Because some of this stuff, is going to be developed in other places, then it's going to be open sourced. Then it's, then someone is going to pick it up and realize that there's a, a sports angle to this, and then it's going to show up in, in our place. And so motion capture, uh, you know, spin detection, all these things are, are definitely coming down the pike, which is uh, the absolute, like, it, it, if you think that technology is going away inside of sports, you're just wrong. Like, and there's the, no reason the, for it. Like, we're it's in a good place. It's going to get better, but like, it's it, there's no reason for it to go away. Yeah, is is stuff like clunky to use or too expensive or whatever? Sure, uh, you can you can argue across the spectrum that these things are true, and and they and you can also I think the strongest argument is that. Uh, like the people from the technology companies and certainly like we're probably guilty of this ourselves, like don't fundamentally understand literally what it's like to be a high school coach or a college coach. And so then there's like a little bit like they design a thing and it's like, Oh, you know, I've, I've brought you this, like, aren't you excited? And you're just like, no, <laughs> no, like that doesn't work for me. Uh, and so I, I think, I think generally, you know, like, that's the responsibility of people that make software and hardware for, uh, for baseball is, is to make it increasingly usable by baseball coaches and baseball athletes. Um, but the, you know, the technology isn't going away. Like motion, markerless motion capture is hundred percent going to be around. It's going to continue to get better. Uh, there's going to be sensors in a bunch of different places. It's going to be cheaper to put sensors in places. Um, and there's just what what there is a lack of, uh, and what I think we do really well is ingesting all that information and then basically putting one to two key objectives in front of someone to try and get them as good as possible. And there's all sorts of work to be done around what are the one or two best things right now. You know, like I don't think that that space is is optimized very well. I think there's a lot of insight to be gained 
from like pairing these technologies together. Um, you know, pre presently there isn't really a lot of um, a lot of good information about you know literally the entirety of the pitcher hitter interaction. So even in our new facility, uh, we we've got this cage that we call the launch pad, which is basically uh, markerless mocap on the pitcher, force plates on the pitcher, modus sleeve or like pulse sensor on the on the arm, um, and then we've got Rapsodo and TrackMan going. You got force plates underneath the hitter. You got markerless motion capture on the hitter, and you got a blast sensor. And so there's just an incredible amount of, and you can also shoot high-speed video with an Edgetronic if you want. Um, so you got all this data that we're, that we're collecting. And even still in that environment, the thing that we aren't measuring right now is how the pitch or how the hitter is perceiving the ball coming out of the pitcher's hand. Because like, you know. That's the number one skill to be able to do it, that. It is a skill. The cognition uh, piece. Like, it, well, I mean, there's some innate, with it but you know can you develop it and and if you can that's where you're going to make somebody extremely happy if you can help them develop that skill yeah the challenge is that uh i'm i'm not I, i'm not exactly i think that i think that there are some challenges to like current approaches for basically training uh cognition and, and visual perception and the other piece is that like we you just know it's important but if you don't have an ability to impact it in a non-bullshit way, then why collect the data in the first place? You know, like there is, there is an answer to that question, which is down the road, it will be valuable. And, and generally we would like to have, you know, three years worth of, once it, once it is something that we feel like we can impact, we'd like to have three years worth of information on it as opposed to three months worth of information on it. But there's also, a, you know, to get back to the point, there's a corresponding cost and time associated with collecting that information. And like right now, we've got our hands full with force plates and whatnot, which I think is that little microcosm of, uh, of a decision about trading off, collecting something in the absolute versus what can we, you know, actually collect and communicate to the player and, and have, have that be impactful to them is, is how I try and coach new coaches or new directors of player player development through the process of like adding on technologies, which is like, you have to have some sort of North star for what you think you are good at and, and what your player development system is going to be about. And from there, then you should go look for pieces of tech that will augment that particular competitive advantage or particular philosophical mindset or whatever. And, and I think where people get bogged down is they, you know, they just buy a Rapsodo so they can point to it when they're bringing parents through the, the gym or they get so frustrated with having all these things that they then just like eject from the conversation, right? You go back to pencil and paper go back to using whatever. And that's, and that's a real loss because like you had someone who was interested, uh, but it was just too overwhelming. And that is both a, uh, that's a user interface problem uh, that is on baseball technology companies, ourselves included to like continue to work to solve. 
but it's also, it's also on the coach too, you know, like uh, you, you've just bit off more than you could chew. Right. So like, instead of ejecting, like let's regroup around like a set of things. And I don't know, I, I'm, I continue to sort of uh, believe, and this is, this belief has gotten stronger every year that like there is, there is no new school, old school sort of debate. It is very simply just people who fundamentally want to make their players and team better and will use any available resource to do that. And that's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum is people who believe that whatever their previous accomplishments are or whatever their present disposition is just entitles them to a job where they can tell people what to do. That's the spectrum where you fall on it is, you know, wherever, but it's not new school versus old school. There's people at the crotch at the like lazy end of the spectrum who are in their twenties, you know, like, so it's got nothing to do with how old you are. It's just, it's just a mindset. Um, I would bet all in on force plates, by the way. I just, I think they're phenomenal. I think they help tell the story. Again, that's a great piece of technology that helps tell the story on the mound and at the plate with what's going on sure. with your lower half. I love it. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's it, again, it solves a lot of arguments, you know, and, and what coaches were seeing with their eyes. Well, you can actually throw somebody on those and they're going to tell the story and, and what your elite players do on both sides of the ball. This is what the good ones do. And so again, Everybody does a little different, but I think, and, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I would assume that, that at the upper ranges of the performers, probably pretty similar with what's going on with their feet and, and their pressure points and how much force they're applying. And, and maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, I mean, I, you're certainly, you're certainly right in terms of like, uh, people who are really good at baseball apply force and they apply it quickly. Uh, and they, and they're, and they're good at sort of dissipating it. Um, you know, that's, that's true across, uh, the entirety of the elite, uh, of elite athletics. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's very early stages in, in force plates. One of the things that I think has been good for, for us is it's eliminated technique from testing. So previously when we were doing assessments, uh, you know, we'd have, you would have you do like a basic deadlift or, you know, squat or whatever. And there's a real technique element that, you know, maybe masks how strong you are um, because maybe you've just never squatted before, you know? Um, so, uh, so that's been, that's been really valuable. And I think, you know, the further we get down the, down the pike from a, from a testing standpoint with, with force plates. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about, about where we're, where we're going with that. I also think, you know, to your point, there's, uh, there's some interesting things to be learned about uh, timing like when, when pitches are coming in, like, what is the, what is the point that people are applying sort of like, like, you know, how, how are they getting into their, their sort of like lead leg block for, for better or for worse. Your coaches that have gone on to the pro side, you know, what are some of the things that they've brought back? Um, or have they said like, Hey, everything's good. Or have there been adjustments made from the training side on what they saw when they went over to the competitive side? Um, I think, I think the adjustments are sort of less on the, on the training side of things. Like we don't, uh, we try to be very deliberate about saying like, look, the, the stuff, like 
anything that is like proprietary or whatever, that's sort of like a unique insight, just keep it over there. Also, I'm, I think mostly what, what we've learned are, are sort of two things, right? So one is, um, one is what is valuable. <laughs> like there, I think that, I think that we've been really advantaged by having coaches at a lot of different levels, both employees who are coming in, having coached at those levels, but then also having uh, actively employed people at different levels to say, okay, look, like it really does stress test uh, tools that we make or, uh, or different ways that we prioritize, like what to build uh, into pulse. Right. So like some of the, some of the, the suggestions that we get are like, look, my guys are having a really hard time understanding this and it's like, okay, why it's just insanely good feedback from, from like a tool development standpoint. Um, and then the second thing is, is context, right? Like it's, I think, I think that every it's impossible as an organization to really avoid the drift towards navel gazing in a lot of ways um, where you just like, because you're, around yourself and around sort of like what's going on in the conference uh, a lot. You just see that and that becomes sort of like your reality. And that's also true of, of us. Uh, I, I don't know that there's a way organizationally to sort of like steer away from any of that. Um, but it does, it does help, uh, you know, fight that whether we think that we're, I feel like sometimes uh, we, have historically sort of like thought that we're significantly further away from like the absolute tip of the spear, top end of the player development uh, sort of stack. And, uh, and I think that we might be wrong about that. Like our results are just like insanely good. Uh, and, and some context has been, has been useful. Um, now it's also useful to hear like, Oh, the, <laughs> these are still the ways in which you have like, massive room for improvement which i think is is helpful like it, it's just not it's not common that you have the ability to basically like do exactly that and get and get that sort of feedback from from your peer network necessarily professionally um so it, it's been a it's been a really unique opportunity how good has the youth academy been i mean the the results are are like really good. Um, you know what I was just thinking about though is because with your older guys, I mean, they're in there just cranking away. It's probably cool for them to see a little bit of youthful energy in the, in the facility too. Like it's brand new to those little kids and I'm sure they're loving it. So it's probably good for those guys too. Maybe they can take, catch a breath a little bit too at times when they're in there. It's been, it's been good for some of our guys who are here longer term too, because they get to coach uh, too. So there's like, there is always that element of like, you, know, you just get stuck in in the grind of training or uh, trying to play or whatever, and then you see see baseball through the eyes of ten of a ten year old, and it's like you know that's that's good for the soul. So um, so that's been really good. I mean the the main result that I cared about is just that our our parents liked it and and they thought that that it was good for their for their kids, and uh, it's been like pretty unanimous, uh, approval of kind of where we're going. It's funny that that is true. Also, uh, during a time when we got absolutely dusted on the field, like that, yeah, the other, the other thing to highlight is like, we just like lost a lot of games and the parents were probably not enthusiastic about that, but, uh, are all coming back. And I think it just really speaks to like, 
the gains that were made. Well, one, it speaks to, uh, well, how yeah, it was run a, that, you know, and, a point, a point a kid, that you, a, your kids are going to be your harshest critics on that. If a kid doesn't like it, they're going to let the parent know and they're not coming back. If a kid didn't have a good experience, no chance he's coming back because the parents aren't going to deal with that. They're just they'll send him somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, but also, you know, it gets to a point that you made. Uh, I can't remember if it was at the starter or before when we were talking It's just like, uh, you, know, you just need you need good players, right? So if you just open up shop in the middle of COVID and take all comers, uh, it's not it's not like you're getting a, a bunch of like second round draft picks. Um, but uh, all of our guys uh, got better, and uh, and and they're coming back. And we just hosted another set of tryouts, and like the word is starting to get out that this is like a place where you can come and develop. And and I just think it's it's exciting. Like it's it's basically it's basically what I wanted as a very try hard sort of like high school player, someone who uh, literally had to specialize, you know, early at like 12 or 13, because I just was like, okay, well I'm five one. Like I should stop playing basketball. You know, I'm five one. My dad is five seven or whatever, like maybe. And like, you know, so like maybe this isn't for me. I'm not fast enough to be good at football. Uh, so I should just try the thing that, uh, you know, so, so that's, that's kind of like my story or whatever. And, and then, and then I worked hard, just not on the right things. And, uh, and I think trying to, I think there's two things, right? Like it's, it's, it goes back to literally the same basic building blocks and, and principles, which are use the technology to build a picture of who the athlete is right now. And then that opens the door for a conversation with a coach. That coach is knowledgeable enough to make that a very high value conversation. And then when they go out on the training floor, all the stuff they're doing sort of reinforces that message. And it becomes this very consistent environment that is a engaging. So we don't often deal with a lot of the like burnout stuff that we were warned sort of comes with this like select ball space because by and large kids just like coming to to practice now we're fortunate that we have you know a 40,000 square foot facility that's kitted out with you know a, a pro grade weight room and like a bunch of tech so yes i'm not saying that like these that this entire thing is replicable maybe in like stuff that doesn't have as many bells and whistles but the underlying basics of the uh, of the coach and athlete relationship like they, they wouldn't change even if, even if all we had was a pulse sensor and, and like, you know, a couple of weighted bats, like we can still get enough work done to where we can get kids excited to come to practice. Do you have a and recent, that's it. do you have a recent fail forward moment? Do you have, What's that? do you have a recent fail forward moment? Something you thought was going to sidetrack you and, and looking back, it's, it was a good thing. I mean, was COVID a fail forward moment for you guys? I think in a lot of ways, uh, COVID was, uh, mostly because, mostly because it accelerated a lot of choices that I think, uh, needed to be made. Um, one, one of which was, was Academy. Like I'm, I'm very convicted that it's, you know, it's, it's our sort of drive and, and mission to be like the player development resource for anyone who's trying to be good at baseball. And there's people who are trying to be good at baseball at eight years old. 
Um, now, the way that they should go about that is significantly different than a big leaguer. Um, and we should, you know, prioritize things uh, for eight-year-olds uh, significantly differently. There should be a lot of fun involved. And trying to be good at baseball at nine or whatever is a lot about just being in baseball at 16, you know, <laughs> like, like so, so if you get burned out or whatever, you don't have a good experience, then, you know, that's just not great for you. Um, and it's not good for the sport either. Um, so, so that's kind of, I mean, like, that's, that's what I think. I think, I think that, you know, we're pushing in that direction with opening up a larger facility. Like obviously you don't open up a bigger space without the idea to fill it. Um, and, but having, having COVID there and then having to get really serious about, okay, this is exactly the direction that we're going. Um, I think really did sort of like pull forward a lot of those choices. Eric Sim got to 95, by the way. That was the last time we talked. That was right before. <laughs> that was right before he did it. And you, I asked you, and you're like, "Yeah, he's gonna do it." And I, I thought he did too. So like, good for him. I mean, he he did it. He hit it 95 with a strike. I know. I know. <laughs> he's he's now he's now extremely internet famous. So uh, you know, uh, he, he is. He's got he's, rotational acceleration and plenty of it. It's it's amazing. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Is like, it doesn't, it doesn't leave. So, I mean, like the reason that Sim wasn't a big leaguer has nothing to do with the fact that he can't like throw hard or, or swing hard, right? It has all this, there's all this other stuff that he like wasn't good at or whatever, um, which down the road, you know, like the, uh, ultimately our, our ambition is to be able to help, you know, whatever 19 year old Eric Sim actually become a big leaguer. But I don't know that we have the capacity to do that now. Uh, and well, maybe, hey, he, maybe if we got him at 19, maybe he could, he could get there as a pitcher, but like, uh, you know, there's, there's just too much, too much swing and miss in that game. And oof, that swing is busted, but, uh, any new books that you're on, I mean, you've read anything lately, any, anything popping up lately that you've been on that you've liked? Um, so so I have I have been on quite a large uh, reread kick. What I what I found is that like by by going out and sort of like collecting all these different books, you just end up well one. A lot of books that end up getting popular or passed around or whatever are basically just blog posts in disguise. So you just end up trying to chew through like 150 pages of what literally could have been a five page essay. Um, which is not to say that that endeavor is, uh, is bad or whatever. I, I just got sort of fed up with it in, in that cycle. So I've gone back to, to read a lot of the stuff that, uh, that I think has been, has been pretty key to sort of developing, uh, an organization. Cause that's basically what we've been focused on for the last year or so. And the, and the three that I keep coming back to are, and these are, these are, these are books that I would recommend for uh, there's, there's two in particular that I recommend for basically everyone who, who joins here. Uh, the effective executive by Peter Drucker is just how to manage your time and your calendar and how to choose what to work on. Um, then there's high output management by Andy Grove, uh, which is how to manage a team because those things are different. Um, but I think that 
I spend a decent amount of time on this because I think that overall baseball specifically is not that good at time management. Like it's just not a thing that's prioritized at any level of the sport. And that's because you just don't get ahead by running good meetings, but it can be the reason that your team stinks. Uh, it's just that it's just that people don't pay attention to it because it's not, it's not a directly, it's not a trait that the AD is going to pick you out of the candidate pool, you know, as a head coach or that you're going to get promoted from, you know, whatever pitching coordinator to farm director or whatever, despite the fact that like uh, millions of dollars of, of time are wasted across the sport, just in bad meetings alone. Uh, and it's just, it's really frustrating. Um, and I think that overall, if, if we prioritize, uh, you know, run like not only running better meetings, but just better time management overall, that we'd end up getting a decent amount more done. Uh, and you, and you would find that you do actually have time for some things, uh, or some additional things. Um, now there's a ton of stuff that gets put on the plate of a college coach or a high school coach that you can't do anything about. Right. Like, so, but part of it is understanding that like, that's just the, the cost of having the job is you got to spend 40% of your time on stuff. That's not baseball related. Uh, and that number could be wildly off depending on who your AD is. Uh, you know, it could be 90% or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, then you just got to make the most of, of whatever time is left. And I think it's, it's just really important for, uh, for us to have those for, for us to like, you know, have that as a, as a tool in the toolbox. What's the third one you mentioned effective executive and high upward management. So, Oh, the other one that I've been rereading is, uh, this is actually in a long list of things that Sam sound like scams, but are in fact, uh, not scams. There's a book called the great CEO within, um, which is, uh, it's a book specifically about how to run like a hyper growth startup, but there's enough stuff in there about hyper growth startup is basically, it's not a, it's not a set of challenges that a college coach will ever have to deal with. Right. Cause the, the size of the team never, you know, is like three times larger than it was uh, before, but especially as player development, well, this is true of, uh, of like some unpaid positions and it's true of like what's going on in professional baseball where like these staffs have grown from like, you know, now there's like eight coordinators and, you know, you can collapse these things under their own weight because there's just so much communication and whatever that has to go into just sustaining the system overall. Um, anyways, I found, I found that book to be uh, really, really good in terms of just, you know, prioritizing a, a handful of like really good habits that are like sort of designed for, for organizational success. So I've been rereading those uh, quite a bit and uh and a few others but yeah that's a selfish question i always do that because i love reading so there Ms. you go thompson recommended the traveler's gift the other day and i picked it up i read it in one day it was awesome it's a good really? short read traveler's gift was awesome the huber men lab podcast has been awesome he's a he's a professor at stanford it's all on training mm -hmm. and physiology but it's been really good it's like going back to school honestly it's I'll listen to a lot in the car, but that one I have to like sit down and get a pad and pen out and write stuff down because it's like going back to college. Yeah, the the guys at Hammer Media, Hammer is H M M R. Um, 
have a really good uh, podcast on on training concepts. Um, it's mostly track and field related, but Zach DeChant was just on there, uh, and they, they they do some some baseball related stuff every now and again. Uh, yeah, really, really like high quality stuff. What are some final thoughts for filling some gaps if we missed anything? I'm not sure. I mean, you, you tell me. Did we miss anything? I don't know. I don't think so. You kiss, you killed it. It's normal. So that's what I expect. But I'm excited for you guys. I mean, this is it's a lot going on, and I'm sure you know it's you know cautiously optimistic on some things. But I'm excited for you guys being able to expand and get down to Arizona and like it's a it's good stuff. Yeah. Um. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm just like I'm very excited about like our particular team, I'm excited about where the sport is going overall. Um, as much as, as much as we like to complain and, and as much as baseball tolerates complainers in the broadcast booth, uh, it's just, it's, I think it's a really good product that's on the field right now. Um, I agree. And I mean, I, I, I do pine for some of the old parts of the game. You know, I do wish there was more bunning and, and that side, but I do feel like the game's in a good spot. Like, and, and really, you have to consider the source on a lot of that messaging and like where it's coming I, from. And like, there's good voices out there. There's people that are seeing yeah. like what's going on. And, and I'm excited about the convention this year because I think people are going to continue to see that. Like, I think it's just going to be another like recharge of like, Oh wow. Look at where the baseball industry's at and like, look where we're going. Like, I think it's going to be a nice recharge again for everybody. Yeah. I mean, the college world series this year was, uh, was pretty electric. Um, and, and I do think like, I, I, I think that it's not likely a sustainable place for us to just like not have bunting for base hits or, or whatever. Like there's, there's some elements of this that are, that are going to come back and there's some elements of it that, that just won't like if, if the pitchers are, if the pitchers will get the ball to home plate, you know, like the, the catchers are, and, and like infielders are, are good enough to where like you can snuff a running game, pretty well and and you do kind of need to like uh pick your spots a little bit better but then again like it's a human game and people are just going to have lapses of judgment and they'll just give you a base and like some of that is probably going away uh but could easily come back especially because especially because a lot of what is happening is like let's invest time into building these physical tools right which is taking away from some of the skill elements of the game but that won't always be the case because it'll just become standard that you do like the, the baseline stuff to like build this engine. And it'll be like, look, you just, you can't be a big leaguer unless you swing the bat, you know, 77 or, or whatever, like whatever the number is in five years in the future. Um, you know, you just can't do that. So like if, if you're below that, then you're just developing the stuff. But if you're not, then you need this like really well-rounded toolbox to like defeat, uh, essentially like the, the pitchers and defense. Uh, and so I, I think that we'll get there. Uh, like the, the people in the game are, are too smart across all these different levels and to, to not have some sort of uh, like, you know, reaction to the reaction to the reaction, right? It's like pitchers learned how to throw hard. Then everybody tried to hit home runs. Cause that's the sensible thing to do when like, you're going to get blown up by 98 uh, with like a bastard slider. So that's what you got to do. And then, uh, then they're going to figure out that you can, you know, also hit the ball hard across a range of outcomes. Right. And, and you can train adjustability in these things and then it'll swing back and yada, yada. 
All right, I'm off, off to watch uh, the Greensboro Grasshoppers play Mahoning Valley. So two of the top teams in high A right now. It's good, man. <laughs> Green, uh, Greensboro's team is fun to watch. They That ballpark, the ball flies. So there's always a ton of home runs hit. It's fun to go watch games there. That's great. Yeah. Well, enjoy. Yeah, Mike, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. I love being able to talk to Mike. Uh, I know every time that we talk, I'm going to pick up a lot of new things. I always appreciate him being able to take time out of his busy schedule. He's packed right now, so thanks again to Mike for coming on with me. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Kalen, Matt West, and the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram, ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.